This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms, in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. When I came out to my mom, I, I called her on the phone and I was like, finally, like after going How through... How old were you? Uh, 21. Mm-hmm. Like in university, I finally just like, I just admitted it. And mm-hmm. then I called my mom up. She's like, I'm like, mom, I'm gay. And she's like, well, I mean, have you tried it? <laughs> and I was like, pardon? And she's like, well, how do you know you're gay if you haven't even tried it yet? Mm-hmm. That I literally had to be like, I was like, okay, mom, I, I'll get back to you. This is part of a conversation I had with Scott Thompson, comedian, legend, and a member of Kids in the Hall. Did you try it? I'll go try it did and you get go back try to it? it. Yeah, I did. I mean, it took a month. A month? That's it? <laughs> took, uh, yeah, no. I was in. A, I was playing the MC at a production of Cabaret. It didn't uh-huh. take that long for somebody in the audience to be like, can I get your phone number? Because uh, it was pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, then I got to phone my mom back and be like, tried it. Really, really liked it. So uh-huh. should we talk about it now? Did she, but what about, did she, what about trying with a girl? Didn't she mean, I thought she meant, have you tried it with a girl? No, she just meant I had, have I tried it? Oh. I, have I tried being gay? I see. She knew I had had sex with a girl because the first time I ever had sex with a girl, three weeks later, that girl said like, I've missed my period. Oh. And I <laughs> immediately called my mother and was like, I had sex once with a girl and now she's pregnant and I don't know what to do. And my mother was like, well, there are things that can be done. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you, my mom had a lot of ideas and not one of them was, you will be fathering a child. <laughs> my mother made that very clear to me, too. Yeah. So luckily, it turned out it wasn't. Right. I, this, I'm, I'm in first year university. This could ruin my entire life. I want to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gavin Crawford, and this is Let's Not Be Kidding. A story about me and my mom and Alzheimer's. Episode 2, Certified Mother's Boy. Scott Thompson and I don't have exactly the same experiences, but we do have a number of things in common. We're both comedians, we're both gay, and have been out for pretty much our entire career. And Scott's mom, like mine, also had Alzheimer's. One of the first times I ever met you was at the Rivoli, and you were hosting, and I was doing, like, characters or something. You were probably doing the librarian character? I was doing the librarian Mm -hmm. character, which is kind of based off my mom. Mm -hmm. That's what reminded me of it. I just remember you coming out after I had done and just being like, well, I'm not ready to give up my crown just yet. (laughs) And how long ago was was that? Which was such a nice... (laughs) It was the best compliment that I could have ever possibly had. I For rem- you to pretend to be threatened, I was like, that oh, was I was very threatened. kind. Oh, no, I was genuinely threatened. Okay, that's even better. I was genuinely threatened because I knew. I went, this is the new kid. This kid's got everything. 
and he can do anything, and I got to wash my fucking ass. But the other part of me was I was so happy to see you doing that and going, oh, my God, he's, he's, he's doing it. And that made me feel happy that maybe I had a little part in that. Oh, you um, definitely but I remember that very clear. I can't remember her name, but I remember going, oh, my God, that's incredible. Yeah, Verna Howard. The Verna Howard, that's right. Who was desperately in love with her gay co-worker, but could not see the signs. <laughs> if that David lingers too long in the periodical section, grade two, I can just feel myself getting a little damp. <laughs> Do you mind if I share a secret with you, grade twos? The Tuesday following this Tuesday, David has invited me out for an evening on the town, a performance of the Candor and Ebb musical Chicago. In attendance will be myself and David and David's partner. I didn't know he had a business outside of the library. But... I guess that's how he affords all those snappy get-ups. <laughs> That librarian character isn't exactly my mom. But then it isn't exactly not my mom either. That's just the voice my whole family uses for some reason whenever we're imitating my mom. She doesn't sound anything like that, but I don't know. It's, it's just the voice we use. How long has it been for your mom? She, she's still alive, and she's, but she's... Um, how long has it been... Since she started to descend. You said eight years? I think it's about eight years. It's been about eight years when it was, like, more than just the occasional sign. Then there's the years where she uh, replaced her moisturizer with bronzer <laughs> and just would come out of the bathroom with, like, an Oompa Loompa, like a circle, an orange circle of Oompa Loompa because she thought she was moisturizing, and you'd, she'd be, like, ready to go to the store, and you're like, no, you are not. Oh, uh, that's sad. So, I see a, a really good gay son would have put the moisturizer on his face and said, say, Mom, now we look the same. And then you go out together. <laughs> How dare you, gay son, shame me. <laughs> uh. When I see her now, you kind of just hold, I just sort of hold hands with her and she likes to hold hands, yeah. which my previous mother, I don't think I've ever held my mother's hand. I, like I, we used to shake hands at the airport before I would go to university. My mom too, like hugging a stick or like a dry <laughs> piece of spaghetti. Like you just don't don't squeeze because you'll break her. Mm -hmm. And then once they descend, all of that comes out. And it was the same with my mother too. As she descended, it all became about touch. Yeah, I mean, but there's something about my mom who had this ability to exist in a world of knowing and not knowing what she didn't want to know at the same time. And I think that's where that character came from. It's sort of me working through the fact that I was so gay and she knew I was so gay, but she didn't know I was so gay. Here's an example of what I mean by that. I remember being about seven years old and my mom sitting me down one afternoon like a Sunday afternoon, we had this tiny television that was over the breakfast table. It was one of those nine-inch TVs. Remember they used to have like a, the tiny like nine or ten-inch television that was set up in a nook kind of above the pantry. We had a nine-inch television and it had four channels. It was very luxurious. But I remember being seven. And I don't know where my sisters were, but no one was around. My mom just sat me down and was like, there's a movie coming on and I think you're really going to like it. 
And then she turned on the TV, and suddenly I hear the opening strains of. And it's the Robert Wise production of Thoroughly Modern Millie. Now, I think at that point I had already established that I was a very big Julie Andrews stan from watching Sound of Music every Christmas. And this was the day when you couldn't just watch movies over and over. You could watch the Sound of Music when it came on at Christmas time, and that was it. But I was sort of obsessed with Julie Andrews, and I was only seven, but my mother sat me down and she's like, you will like this. And up comes Thoroughly Modern Millie, which I don't know if you know too much about Thoroughly Modern Millie, but it is a ridiculous musical about the white slave trade. Very problematic nowadays with Beatrice Lilly doing yellow face and chopsticks in her bun. But, you know, those kind of things aside, it also starred Mary Tyler Moore and Carol Channing. And that was my introduction to Carol Channing. And I don't know what it is genetically about a gay kid, but when you see Carol Channing burst onto the screen and say, raspberries, something in your body just clicks. And you, I just remember thinking like, what is that? Who is that? I need to be that. I want to be around that. I want that. The giant smile, the big batty eyes, mixed with Julie Andrews. And I sat there completely enraptured, watching this possibly the gayest movie on earth. Like at one point, they're trying to foil the slave trade, so they dress the guys up in Julie Andrews' like mod clothing. So they're in drag. Both of the lead men are in drag for a significant portion of the movie. And Carol Channing's running around like in a plane, popping champagne and getting shot out of a cannon. And the elevator doesn't work in the hotel unless you tap dance in it. So Mary Tyler Moore and Julie Andrews have a whole conversation where they're just throwing some sand on the floor and tapping their way up to their rooms in this girl's hotel. And I mean, that pretty much sealed the deal. But there was something about my mother that was accepting enough to know This is what this kid likes. So instead of hiding this from him, I'm going to sit him down and I'm going to blow his little gay mind. And my mom was always like that with each of her kids. She paid attention to who we were. She paid attention to what we liked. And she encouraged us to follow where our interests lay with minor caveats of having to also take judo and t-ball. She was awesome. She was cool and hilarious and irreverent and incredibly caring without being a smotherer. This is Carrie Sackney, who's known both me and my mom since grade six. I mean, you two are so similar, so similar as feisty and as mischievous as she was, um, independent. Um, I think she also wanted you to, I don't, I, I don't want to say, you know, you were living out her dream. I, no, but, but, but I there, feel like but, I've been a bit of a way. But I, there I, is, there is a tinge of that for sure. After we moved my mom into the care home, 
while we were helping my dad clear stuff out. My sister Regan found a bunch of the journals and took them to her house. And then I found a few more and I took them to my house. So between us, we have a fair amount of my mom's actual writing and actual thoughts over the years. Um, most of which I would never read publicly. But some of them, the ones that pertain directly to me, I feel okay to share. Here's a journal entry from when I was in university that my mom wrote when she had come to visit me in Vancouver and I was taking classical singing lessons. I still remember the song. I have no idea where it was from, so I looked it up. It's from a Handel opera called Bernice. But even though I didn't know that, I still remember to this day all the words. It means, howsoever they may revile me, may my love resplendent shine. That I do remember. But it was mostly humiliating for me because my sisters would make fun of me for it all the time whenever my mom would be like, come on, Gav, give us a little C-Tri Chappie, would ya? So anyways, here I am singing classical opera in a united church in the middle of downtown Vancouver, much to my mother's delight. Here's what she wrote. March of what even year is this? 1990. So I was 21. No, 20. The voice recital was held in a small united church near Robson so we could walk. When Gavin started to sing, I could hardly believe it. You could hear a pin drop. Everyone in the church was so intent. I've been proud of Gavin so many times, but this had to be so special. I will never forget how I I will never forget how I felt hearing him sing. I had to fly home Monday. It was so nice to have someone to take me places and to do things with me. I don't know how proud my mom was of me becoming a comedian. I think she wanted me desperately to become Pavarotti, but instead I ended up more Pagliacci. Of course she was proud of Gavin, and the way she was showed it was by showing up to his to his stuff, to whatever he was doing. So many trips, like to Toronto, to whenever he was performing... Many, many times they would come just to see some little gig in a bar or whatever. That's my husband, Kyle. We've been together for 25 years now. So, yes, they're very supportive. And I'm sure she told her friends, but, like, you know, they don't say it in the moment when you're in the room. I've ne- I don't think I've ever heard her say something like, I'm proud of you or anything like that. So She never needed to say it. My family doesn't express emotions directly that way. But she would show up to the most outlandish gay plays that I was doing. Things at Buddies and Bad Times where I was playing a gay murderer in a scene where I'm rimming a police officer. You know, and I'd be like, well, Mom, what did you think? And she'd be like, well, you were very good. But, you know, let's not be kidding. A little different. Like, we know how much we loved our mothers and how emotionally close we were but a camera following us would go god that's a cold relationship you know what i mean like the cameras wouldn't show that but it's all those waters underneath the wasp glacier here's more with scott thompson are you the youngest you're the youngest. second oldest you're the second oldest of all boys all boys 
Yeah, I for, you've got sisters, right? Yeah, I have three sisters and a brother. So, okay. were you the favorite? My brothers say I was, of hers, mm-hmm. but it was balanced by being my father's least favorite. Yeah, same with me. Right. When you were growing up, how did she react to? Well, I mean, obviously, you're obviously a little gay boy. Yeah, I was. A, I was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You don't need to see my dad's super eight. You know, I was a little gay boy. Yeah, yeah I mean, me too. You know. I was like borrowing my mother's grad dress and running into the fields to, you know, <laughs> spin around to the Sound of Music soundtrack. <laughs> That's that the missing chapter from the uh, Who Has Seen the Wind. Yeah, <laughs> W. O. Mitchell's missing chapter. It's true. It's a very weird thing. I think maybe, and I don't know why, but I feel like maybe when you're gay, you're close to your mom in a certain way because they sense that they need to protect you. And my mom was very, you know. Uh, protective of me when I was a kid. But I was also like, you know, I come home crying all the time because yeah. the scouts were mean to me or we played basketball or we I didn't yeah. want to do the father-son three-legged race at the church picnic, so I hid in a tree. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I hid in a tree. You hid in a tree. And in I was tree. in the tree above and this... Oh, but you this, climbed a tree? That's what boys do? Yeah, but this bitch... Sorry, I shouldn't use that word. Yes, this, you should. This woman, this woman from our church. Yep. My mom was pregnant at the time with my little brother, and my dad was looking around for me, and she's like, you know, this woman came up. I won't say her name, but let's call her Karen. Okay, uh, Karen. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, you know, Somehow Karen, that seems right. Karen comes up and is like, oh, Keith, like, you know, where's Gavin? Aren't you going to do the father-son, you know, three-legged race? <laughs> and my dad's sort of like, well, you know, I don't know. I can't find him. He's not around, but he's not really into that kind of stuff anyway because it would be tied to his father with yeah she's like doing up sports. sports and so but then karen uh i could hear her say to my dad well i mean donna's pregnant who knows maybe this time you'll get a real son and then just sauntered away and my dad i remember my dad just not knowing i was there just kind of being like haha yeah, yeah. yeah. and i just remember coming down out of the tree and going to my mother just like in unbelievable tears because I'm like, how old were you? Ten, nine, yeah, nine. But you knew. I was nine. You knew. Yeah, I knew. And then, but like, just being like, that doesn't think I'm a real son. And then my mother, oh, she <laughs> made a point to make that because my dad was friends with Karen's husband, and mm-hmm. we had to occasionally go over to their house. And my mother was not nice to that woman ever again. Wow. Like she barely. And my mother had a hard time being contrary and socially yeah, inappropriate my mom but too whoa did she ice out she, she iced well, <laughs> she that, iced garen right out yeah and i was like well, i feel good for that yes thank you mom when i was about i guess seven or eight maybe eight or nine years old there was a teacher that she she was very awful to me she hit me uh she just terrible woman and um i was i always i was a chatty kathy i never shut up and um, really, yeah, yeah. And she used to do this thing where if you didn't shut up, she'd put you in the cloakroom for the whole class. Kids right? these days have Cloak- no idea. No, they have no idea. Well, we used to get strapped. Yeah. And, and she would put me in the dark for the whole day, the whole morning. I told my mother that I was being locked in the cloakroom and she was what? She marched down to the school and tore a strip off this woman. Go, Barbara. And she was never mean to me again. And that was it for my mother. She said, you are not doing that to my boy. So that was definitely defending me. Because she knew the woman. She knew what that woman was doing and why she hated me so much. Yeah. She she knew what she was seeing. (laughs) 
This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's a bit similar for Scott and I in that so much of who we are is tied up with the mothers that we had. And then you get to this interesting point where that relationship sort of ceases to exist, even though they still exist. And that can be strange. First of all is when they forget who you are. That's really, really difficult. But it doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes it'll come back and they kind of know who you are. Then you think, oh, no, it's, she's talking about a cousin or a brother or a farmhand or whatever. <laughs> and then my mom, when my mom, my mom was a very classy, very uptight wasp lady who, even though I think had a, a quite a deep sexual well, and I'm not referring to her vagina, I mean, <laughs> but I always knew my mom loved men. My mom was a strange woman who loved men and women. I don't mean she was bisexual, but she had female friends and she had male friends, but she was very flirtatious. And she had, you know, they have these kind of... um firewalls where they don't say what they're you know the the dark stuff that's underneath it mm-hmm. and that kind of got broken down by the dementia and so she started just throwing out things like oh i always loved it on the farm when it was time to breed the cows they'd bring in that big bull and my sister never liked to go watch it happen but i love to watch it happen and i'd be like what and she'd be doing this at dinner like oh the hired hands would come in and they would go get barbara and they called her bob back then get bob she wants to see this and she'd run to the barn to watch this cow be pimped out to all these lady cows and she fucking loved it and then she would just announce that or she'd go oh there was a hired hand that i i forget mom we we know about ernie and then it became then when she eventually went into a home it got really bad where she completely forgot who i was but every time i would come in she would say oh and who are you and i'd be like I, i'm your son scott and one day she goes oh Scott, I don't think you're my son. And I said, why, why is that? She goes, oh, you're far too old for, to be my son. I'm much too young to have a son your age. And I went, Mom, I'm, I'm 55. And she went, oh, I'm sorry. You look pretty bad for 55. You must have had a hard life. And I go, yeah, yeah, I did. I had a mother like you. But she put her hand on my thigh and stuff, and she just genuinely come on to me. And it was interesting. It's freaky. Yeah. Uh, freaky. And then once you start to see the comedy of it, it, it becomes less freaky. It's situations like the one Scott just described that really put you in an awkward position when you're dealing with a parent or a loved one who has Alzheimer's. Because on one hand, it's tragic and it's also weirdly hilarious. Sometimes you would, I would take my mom for a drive just to distract her. One time we were driving down to see the sea ice. We were in Cape Breton. 
Uh, and she kept asking me, what part of Toronto is this? But oftentimes during those drives, I would become other people, and she would express certain disappointments in me to me. I remember her telling me with a little bit of concern that I didn't visit enough. Her son Gavin had moved to Toronto, and he just never came back. You know, she saw him once in a while, but not enough. I guess that's what happens when you move to the city, she would tell me. You know, you just don't want to go back. And I would say, like, well, you know, you can't really blame him. She'd say, oh, no, I don't blame him. I'd like to live in Toronto where he is. But, you know, what am I going to do? Just leave? It's very weird to have your mother express disappointment in you to you. But, you know, welcome to Alzheimer's. Here's a little bit from one of her journals around the time Kyle and I first met. My mother has just left Toronto uh, after a week of being with me to be with my sister, who's having her first baby in Philadelphia. Uh, July 2nd, 97, she writes, I know Gavin would have liked me to stay longer. It's very hard. I like Kyle, but I feel that he is, quote, too gay and is making Gavin that way. I worry that this is going to limit Gavin's success. I just don't know. I worry so much about him. He's so talented. I just didn't want him to be stuck doing only gay material at gay places. I wonder if he'll ever be able to settle down and have a stable life with a partner. I want him to be safe and happy. I don't want him to have to live in the heart of the gay area to be safe. I'll talk to him when I'm back in Toronto. Hopefully we'll have some time together to go to Montreal. <laughs> Even at the end of that, she just wants to go shopping in Montreal. You could call it homophobia, or you could just call it a mother's concern about doing gay material. Like, at that time, like, it was not as, well, it's not a career path that works, even now. That's my husband, Kyle, again. I don't think she was offended particularly, but I don't, I think she, she always wanted, she, she would say, well, you have such a lovely singing voice. She always like kind of do alternate suggestions, but she, I don't think she ever would say, I think this is too gay. You're going down the wrong road. It's hard to be a homo here in Dallas <laughs> Where the men are men from hats down to their boots No, they don't like having their masculinity challenged You see, Texas ain't a kindly place for fruits Well, my mama said she'd cut off my allowance Unless I change my ways and I walk a straighter line so I thought up this cover to convince my homophobic mother that I'm not gay, I'm just biding my time. I told her all my women left me, so I started dating men. May as well raise a rooster if I just can't keep a hand. Well, I don't know that it's forever, but it does me fine for now. And brother, it sure as hell beats messing with my daddy's favorite cow. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're so nice. Wow. 
That was a clip from a comedy special that aired on CTV many times in 1999 with Brendan Wall playing the guitar and uh, was watched by not only my mom, but probably all of her friends. After my mom moved into the home, there was a period where I would call her every day because she could still talk on the phone. Um, She couldn't talk very well, and sometimes she would be quite distressed on the phone because they were sort of trying to balance her medication, and she was sort of in the, the staff are trying to kill me, period. So what I would do often is just start to sing. I would find an excuse to just, like, sing music of the night or Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, or something uh, to my mom on the phone, which normally she would really like and kind of, you know, call and be like, oh, that song, that's great. But one day she was just like, what are you doing that for? Like, can we just be normal for a second? And uh, it really threw me for a loop because that was the first time she ever did not respond well to being sung at. I have to take everything with a grain of salt because there's no world in which my mom would ever say, stop singing to me, except the one we were in that day. I do have a little mental trick that I actually started doing um, even before he was diagnosed because my dad was challenging. You know, your button, my buttons are right out there. That's my friend, actor and comedian Aurora Brown from Baroness Funt Sketch Show. She's going through a similar thing with her father. I remember I started doing this thing in about 2017. He would come over and he would say something that just you know, made me um, hurt and angry um, and, you know, rebuffed or whatever it was. Um, and I started doing this thing where I would uh, I would imagine time travel. I would imagine kind of in the holodeck um, kind of vein of things. I would imagine, okay, let's imagine that, in fact, right now my body is somewhere in the future. It's probably like 2025 or something like that. And right now, technology has gotten to the point where I have been allowed to go back in a one-day vacation to some random day. My dad is dead in the future. I'm sad that, you know, it's been ages since I've seen him. And this day, as unremarkable as it is, is what I got. So what I got today was he is alive again. Like what you think, people are like, I just want one more day. Like So that is what I'm getting right now. And it helped transform... Everything that is uh, and was so frustrating about him into just like, oh, there he is. There's that thing, you know, that I, you know, hated at the time but would have been so glad to see again. And I'm getting to see it again. And and I ended up doing that, you know, spiraling that out into all aspects of my life. You know, like whenever I – as an atheist, when I need to feel grateful, I can't look at a deity. So I need this kind of – I need time travel instead. Star Trek. Well, you'll be happy to know I've been working on a few things. Oh. And uh, the holodeck's <laughs> not ready yet, but give me some time. Okay, good. Anyone who's dealing with a loved one 
navigating memory loss, dementia, Alzheimer's, pulls a lot of tricks out of their sleeve. There's all kinds of coping mechanisms that you go through. Sometimes it's jokes, sometimes it's time travel, sometimes it's crying. One of my tricks now is telling these stories. To go back and actually remember what was my relationship with my mom like? What fun things did we do? You know, I remember very specifically she found out when I was 10 years old that there was auditions for the community theater production of The Music Man in Lethbridge, a half an hour away from the town we lived in. And she got me in the car and drove me there, but she would not come in. She said, I can get you to the door and the rest is up to you. And my mom sat in the car and I would run out and be like, they've asked me to stay for the second round. And she would be like, great, great, go back in and do it. But she did not come in. Honestly, she was probably just too shy to come in. But it gave me the skills to go and do things on my own. When I was 16, my mother took me to New York. There wasn't really a drama club in Lethbridge, so she put me in modeling. That's what I was doing, you know, catwalk modeling at 16. But, you know, they had these modeling competitions in New York that you could pay to go to. And they had acting competitions at those New York things. So when I was 16, we hopped on a plane and went to New York. It was my very first time on an airplane and... My mother let me run wild in New York City. I phoned an adult acting class somewhere in Soho and asked if I could audit the class. And my mother let me navigate my way down by myself to this old warehouse building and sit and watch two hours of, like, 20-year-olds learning how to act, even though it seemed to me like they were in their 50s. And... You know, I wanted to see all kinds of Broadway plays. So she went shopping and she let me go down and stand outside the Phantom of the Opera Theater hoping I could score a last-minute ticket. Who lets their 16-year-old kid run around New York by himself, taking cabs, and says, we'll meet you up at the hotel later? My mom, standing there, hoping against hope someone's going to drive up and somehow magically give me a ticket to Phantom of the Opera. And then they do! Two minutes before the curtain goes up, some car pulls up and a lady hands tickets out the window and is like, I can't go this afternoon. Anybody want these? And I take the two tickets and go and see Phantom of the Opera. You know? And then somehow, weirdly in my life, 20 years later, I'm hosting a show on CBC and Andrew Lloyd Webber is in it. And I get to talk to him and make jokes with them. I mean, what can I say? Here's to non-helicopter parenting. Thanks, Mom.
coming up next time on Let's Not Be Kidding. I've never been so happy to be funny as I have been in the last year and a half because, like, the person who I grew up trying, you know, all these other people are laughing because I wanted so hard to make my dad laugh. And so when I do, still, that happens. It's like, okay, his sense, if, if a person's sense of humor is there, there's a certain structure in their head that is probably around. And if they're making that, like, old expression kind of thing, it's like, great. You know, I know I can still reach them a little bit. The glorious perks of an improv background. Learning to roll with it next time on Let's Not Be Kidding. You've been listening to Let's Not Be Kidding from CBC Podcast. The show is written and hosted by me, Gavin Crawford. David Carroll is my producer, story editor, and sound designer. Emily Cannell is our digital coordinating producer. Original music by William Lamoureux. Our senior producer is Damon Fairless. Executive producers are Cecil Fernandez and Chris Oak. Tanya Springer is the senior manager of CBC Podcast, and Arif Narani is the director. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.